Well, good morning, everybody. Northview, it's awesome to be here once again Sunday morning. I hope you're all doing well, surviving, living well. I sure do miss you all. I've been able to connect with some of you via Zoom, Facebook, FaceTime. It's been really great, but I sure do miss you all. I look forward to one day being everybody here and worshiping together. So last week, Steve talked a lot about our need of a Savior, our need of God. So we're going to pick it up right where we left off. This is an oldie but a goodie. Hopefully you guys recognize it. But we are just going to humble ourselves before the Lord and sing, Lord, I need you, as we acknowledge that he is above us and that we have a desperate need for him as the one who gives us the very breath we breathe. So join us as we sing, Lord, I need you this morning. Lord, I come. I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I need you.
breath in our lungs, the life that we live, God. Help us to always humble ourselves before you and acknowledge that you are the creator of all things, that we need you as our savior. And Lord, we worship you this morning for who you are. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That is who you
never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. steadfast love and steadfast faithfulness. Help us to always keep our hearts soft towards you. Help us to always humble ourselves before you as we come under under the covering of your greatness, under the covering of your beautiful law, under the covering of your authority, God. Help us to strive to stay on that beautiful and perfect straight path that you have laid out before us. The spirit is willing, but oftentimes the flesh is weak, God, so we desperately need you. We need your help. Soften our hearts towards you. Open our minds towards your truths that you have for us all through your word, God. Anoint the rest of the service so we might indeed hear from you. Interact with us. We welcome your spirit to interact with us. Though we're far apart, Lord, we know that you are indeed working, and we give you thanks and praise for that. We thank you again for an awesome time in your presence to worship you, to celebrate your truths, and just to celebrate who you are. So everybody at home joins me with all of this, as we simply say, amen. Well, good morning, Norfew. How are you doing this week? We hope you're doing well, and we hope you're enjoying your time with your families and uh, just all the things that are going on again Patience is a virtue, and we need to lean into it. So uh, this morning, we've got some very exciting things that we want to bring your way. Uh, Just incredible stuff. First of all, um, we want to tell you about Juan down in Ensenada. If you don't know, Ensenada has been shut down for COVID-19, just like we are. And we got word from Juan that uh, a lot of the families didn't have any food, and so Juan and Clarice were actually taking food out of their own pantry and then going around to the people in their church and, and handing out food to the people that they served. And when we heard about it, <clears throat> many of you have given to the relief fund and wondering 
what is that money actually going to? Who is that actually helping? Well, here's one of the ways that it's helping. Uh, as you can see on the screen, uh, we sent money and then Juan and Clarice went and uh, purchased the food. And on the screen, you can see all the different uh, baskets that they've put together. And uh, tomorrow, uh, they will go out door to door in the community and people who are in their church and give out this food to people in the community. So we thought you'd really be excited about that and want to know about that. We can continue to pray for them. Uh, Juan and Clarice are looking for a home, and they're also uh, starting a brand new church. So let's keep them in prayer. Remember them. And then secondly, uh, <clears throat> we've been involved in the Move the Mountain. And if you're new to Northview, that is our uh, capital campaign that we've been doing to pay off, pay off the loan for our, our space here. And uh, we started out back in January of 2019, if you remember, we brought up the idea, what would you think if we did a capital campaign to speed forward the gospel of what God could do and pay off the loan so that we'd be more freed up <clears throat> to do what the Lord wanted us to do? And that January of 2019, the amount of the loan was uh, 403000 and some change. And so we... Uh, approved that and, and said we'd move ahead and do a capital cam campaign in October. Well, so many of you got excited about that, that you started giving right away. And by the time we got to October, the loan for the amount was actually 266000 and some change. So it had dropped 140, roughly 140000 Then by the 1st of January, the loan had dropped another 30000 to $237,000. And we were astonished by that. Well, April, by then, it had dropped to 133000 which means it dropped over $100,000 in four months. And then <clears throat> in June of 2000, and this right here was going to be our big announcement for the morning, is that Move the Mountain uh, had dropped to $40,000. And we were so excited about that. And then yesterday, Someone came to church, dropped off a check, and it's paid in full. Can you believe that, church? I think we should celebrate. I, I know you're in your homes, and I know nobody else can hear, but I think we should applaud and clap and cheer the Lord, right? And give him a thank you. And like, he, we can't hear each other, but he can hear us. And that is absolutely astounding. And not only that, but there were other checks in the mail. And so uh, there's already 2,600 in the account moving forward in the other direction now. I want to take us back and remind us of the original vision that we're working off of. Uh, the, we started at, in 2019 with the 403,000. We did a two-year capital campaign. Step number one of that campaign was to pay off the loan, which, by the grace of God, we've all done. And by the way, I just want to thank everybody who gave. Remember what we said, it's, it's not... Uh, the same gifts. What we've always said here is it's not the same amount of gifts, it's the same sacrifice. Uh, some are able to give more, some give less. High school, junior high, I know many of you gave, uh, you're working at Chick-fil-A or different places, and I know many of you have given to that account, and that, it, it's a whole team effort that we did together. So now that the loan is paid off, remember what we want to do is step forward now. There are more mountains to move. We've moved one, there are more mountains to move, and we said that we were going to look at, by faith, buying our building, the possibility of a church plant, and then also ministry growth. 
And so as we are looking at that now, it's going to require just as much faith and just as much prayer to figure out what the next steps are as it were, as it did to pay off the first step. And so I want to call us to prayer on that, that we would seek God's heart for what's his best and what's his timing. How should we step forward in that? And so we seek your heart on that. We pray that you'd pray with us, alongside of us, that God would grant us a wisdom, and also that God would grant us unity. It was incredible unity and buy-in when we presented that idea in January of 2019. And the momentum is continuing to roll. So now everything that comes in for Move the Mountain will now go into uh, that account to move it forward. So we just want to celebrate with that. Hats off to everybody for your faith and your confidence in what the Lord's doing here. And we want to hold that in sacred trust. And we want to take that step forward and say, wow, God, what's your next steps for us? So I want to encourage you. What incredible news. Celebrate together. And then we have one more thing for you. Today is Father's Day. And to be really honest, it's a bummer because we always have ice cream and we can't have ice cream because you're not here. So dads, you have permission to make a Dairy Queen run or run to Albertsons and get your favorite stuff and have some ice cream today. But in lieu of that, dads, enjoy this. Okay, dads, let's go ahead and get started, guys. Now, some of you have already let me know how uncomfortable you were in last week's meeting. So tonight, we're going to try to respect each other's boundaries. What? Tonight, we've also got a guest with us, David. And would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Um, hey, guys. I'm David. David. Hey. How many kids do you have, David? None. At least not at the moment. Uh, my wife is pregnant, and uh, she should be delivering any day now. That's great. Super. Who would like to go first? Anyone. Anyone. I'll go. Perfect. Todd? Yes. My daughter and I went to the mall, and she said she wanted to take the stairs to the second level. And I said, I don't trust stairs because... They're always up to something. <laughs> Todd, I'm sorry that happened. Okay. Yeah. I encourage you to try to resist the urge to make jokes like that. My turn? Can I go? Okay. Yesterday, actually, my daughter got home and she asked me how my day was. And I said, well, a guy tried to sell me a coffin, but that's the last thing I need. Oh, Jerry, that joke was dead on arrival. Because it's the last thing I need. David, how about you? Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't say This anything. is a safe zone. Just jump on in. Yeah, I, I'm, I guess I'm just scared of being a dad. I'm afraid I'm going to start telling bad jokes just like my dad. Well, it might be in our nature. We can fight against it. Hey, speaking of nature, I tried to catch some fog yesterday. I missed. <laughs> M-I-S-T. Oh, You're a monster. I, this is where the boundary is. I'm done. This is where you are. Hello? Really? Okay, yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I'll be right there. That was Julie. Her water just broke. I guess the baby finally ran out of womb. <laughs> I'm gonna be a dad. Don't you think it should be going? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
So I told my wife she drew her eyebrows too high. She seemed surprised. All right, well, that was a lot of stuff to cover right this morning. Would you join me? Let's, let's pray together, all right? Father in heaven, we live in tumultuous times. We live in times of very divided opinion. As we come as your church, as we seek this morning, you are our unity. We ask for your help. We pray that as uh, we're going through the Psalms, Lord, you would kindle um, things that were spoken long before we were ever around. And we seek you this morning as we talk about your law, and uh, we need your wisdom on that. May this just make a lot of sense and uh, practical application for people. And so we seek your heart in that. Bless us. Give us the sense of your mind. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so last week we saw part one, that God's law is good. But then we also saw that sin took advantage of what the law was trying to do, and Scripture says that it deceived us. So now the law is used by God in a different way. The law is used as a tutor to show us our sin and point us to the need of a Savior. We are then saved by grace as we place our faith in the Lord Jesus and we enter into a covenant relationship, just like David talks about here in the Psalms, with Yahweh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, just as Abraham, Moses, and King David did. But the basic premise of last week is that the law is good, and the reason the law is good is because God is good. Uh, Next week, we're going to look at God's holiness and how that ties into this whole topic. That David, as a person, delighted in God's laws, his rules, his precepts, his decrees, and he was echoing something that God himself had said, God had said in Leviticus, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And so God gave us that as something to bounce against and measure life by. But there's another purpose for the law that often gets overlooked. And to get there, we need to do a little bit of history. Let's go back to the beginning and rehearse our biblical history, all right? So go back to the beginning. We know, uh, if you start in Genesis, right, God created the heavens and the earth, and then in the earth he planted a garden known as Eden, and in the garden he created man and then woman in the garden, Adam and Eve. They wore, as Dr. Michael Heiser would point out, uh, his imagers, right? They reflected his image. They, like God at that moment in time, knew no sin. And God's vision for Eden and, and for them was that it would spread, that it would prosper, that it would uh, go across and cover the whole planet. It would be the idea of extending God's Edenic vision across the globe. We explored in an earlier message how uh, there were entities who disagreed with God's plan and actively worked to undermine it, i.e. the serpent uh, known as the Nakash, In Genesis 3, in the New Testament, we know him as Satan. Man failed God, right? Adam and Eve sinned and fell. And then the story from there uh, goes to Genesis 3 and 5, and it covers the fallout of that sin. In Genesis 6, it tells us the fall of the watchers. 
says this, when man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. And then the Lord said, my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Out of this unholy union came what was known as the Nephilim, the giants, right? And along with that came the corruption of life on this planet. Uh, these were the mighty men of old, as it says, men of renown. In Greek mythology, these are the titans, right? Again, that word means giants. Uh, Hercules would be an example of a Nephilim. Hercules would be half man, half God person. And if you look at Greek and Egyptian mythology and uh, just look at some of it, uh, you see what's going on is this weird uh, genetic experimentation, uh, manipulation uh, that's going on. You see half man, half animals. You see weird combinations of animals. And uh, the corruption was so extreme that God was forced to wipe the slate clean with a flood, a global flood, except for Noah and his family. It says Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Well, from that then, Noah proceeds after the flood, and the next big picture we get is the Tower of Babel story in Genesis 11. It says this, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Rather than spreading out and filling the earth, man comes together and builds a city, and in that city they begin to build a tower to the heavens. Now, there, there's much more going on here than just they wanted to build a tall building. Uh, there was something very diabolical about the whole setup. Here's God's assessment of the situation. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is the only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And then it goes on to say, And so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So in essence, God saw what they were doing and the intent of their heart. The implication is actually they wanted to overthrow God. And it says that God confused their languages and they were then dispersed over the face of the earth. This is where in the God is all powerful message we showed that they were disinherited by God and dispersed into 70 nations and then placed under ruling Elohim. The well word for Elohim is God's. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 would use the word princes, the prince of uh, Persia and the prince of Greece, so princes, who themselves then became corrupt and will be judged for their taking worship for, taking worship for Yahweh and turning it to themselves. So God starts over. He starts over with one man, Abraham, and out of this one man, he's going to create a new nation that will fulfill his Edenic vision for the earth. So you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Israel and Egypt for 400 years in slavery, right? And then you move on to Moses and the Exodus. In the Exodus... God takes Israel into the wilderness 
and brings them to Mount Sinai, where the law is given. Now, most of you have followed me up to this point, right? You know these stories well. You're well rehearsing them. But the question on Sinai was, why was the law given? What was its purpose? Uh, The more cynical view says that God gave a curmudgeonly difficult law that no one could keep so he could smash them when they failed. The more antagonistic view is that God is the ultimate example of a control freak or a power broker and has to have everything his way. And if people don't cooperate, he pouts and throws a fit and then he still gets to smash them. The fatalistic view holds that God never really intended to bring them into the promised land in the first place, but rather lured them out in the desert to be able to kill them. Notice how all these views have two things in common. First, they go after and find fault with God's character. Second, they find fault with his government and by extension with his laws. But the scriptures tell us that God is good, that he is a good God, that his law is a good law, and that the promised land is a good land, flowing, as it says in Scripture, with milk and honey. So what's really going on here? Well, God wanted to create a nation that was unique unto himself, a nation that had his stamp and imprint on it, a nation that carried his name, a nation that would reflect his laws and his leadership a nation that worshiped him alone, but also a nation then, because of those things, that wouldn't be corrupted. Why? Because they had Yahweh as their leader and not the corrupted Elohim of the other nations. They would be then, therefore, a righteous and holy nation. Uh, You can see this all through the Old Testament. Nehemiah recounting this history that we just walked through after the return from the exile and the return to the Holy Land, says this. When he's talking about the Sinai experiences, you came down from Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. God wanted to distinguish himself and the other, from the other nations. He goes on to say this in Exodus. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. Notice that phrase there. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This idea of a treasured people is emphasized three times in the book of Deuteronomy. God wants to really solidly anchor this idea for them. Look at Deuteronomy 7, 6. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord. Again, we will be talking about holiness next week and see how it's played out in the Psalms. But you are to be a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, Deuteronomy 14, again, later on in the journey as they're getting ready, emphasized again, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. I guess I'm in trouble there, right? Okay. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. 
And then later in Deuteronomy 26, right as they're getting ready to enter into the land, and the Lord has declared today that you are a people for what? His treasured possession, as he has promised you, and that you are to keep all his commandments, and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made, and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. So what's going on here? Is God playing favorites? And the answer is no. What he's actually doing is um, incredibly redemptive. What he's doing is he's setting up a way for the disinherited nations to come back under his leadership and for them to come back into a relationship with him. They, because of God's good, they being Israel, because of God's good and righteous law, would literally be a city on a hill, a light for the nations. Isaiah says this in chapter 49, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant, talking here about Israel, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Arise and shine, Isaiah goes on in chapter 60, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen by you. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. What is God trying to communicate here? What he's trying to say is that the leadership and including the law of Yahweh, his law, was designed to make Israel first in the list of nations as a lighthouse for all the rest to come and search for Yahweh as well. And you find this laid out in the book of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please open up there and and look look at the chapter Deuteronomy 28. It lays out all the benefits of following the law that he gave and also the consequences for not following the law. Now we can't, we don't have time to read the whole chapter this morning, but let me just point out a couple things that are very obvious. If you're looking at it, notice that the chapter is broken into thirds, with the first third being devoted to what happens, in other words, the blessings, if they follow the law, and then two-thirds is devoted to what happens, the curses, if they don't follow the law. And if you remember, uh, when they came into the promised land, they got on Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and they called those out to each other as a reminder so they would remember what God had told them in Deuteronomy 28. For the blessings, the summary of it reads like this in verses 1 and 2 in Deuteronomy 28. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then it goes on to list the benefits. It says, you'll be blessed in the city and you'll be blessed in the country. Uh, Your wombs will be blessed, both of women and animals. Fields and trees will bear abundant fruit. Uh, Your baking will be blessed. Blessed You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. And your enemies will come in one way and they will flee in seven ways. In other words, you'll be able to rout them. Uh, Your barns will be full and all you undertake will be blessed. Uh, They would abound in prosperity. You shall lend to many nations and not borrow. 
Rain will come in its season. If you're in an agricultural farming community, that's a big deal. They would be the head, not the tail. They would go up. They would not go down. And then if you come to the cursing section, it can best be summarized as a reversal of all those things. If you look, it says, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. And they shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies. The result was, just like Adam and Eve had failed, so now Israel would also fail. But it was not because the law was bad. It was because they had failed to obey it. Isaiah decries the results and gives kind of the ultimate verdict on this. Uh, it says in Isaiah 26, and this is in the New International Version, it says, As a pregnant woman about to give birth rise and cries out in pain, so were we in your presence, Lord. We were with child, we writhed in labor, but we gave birth to the wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth, and the people of the world have not come to life. If you think about it, that's a, that's a catastrophe. And by the way, the parallels between Israel and the United States are impossible to miss. We ourselves have not brought righteousness to the world. And God ultimately knew that he, as Michael Heiser would put it, would have to do the job himself. And so all through the Old Testament, you have these hints of God bringing himself, the Messiah, to come and do what man or Israel had not been able to do. Though the law is good, as the Apostle Paul firmly states, we become trapped by it through sin. Now, this is confusing, right? It's, it's hard for a lot of people to get a handle on this, but really, I think there's a, a simple way to understand this. Let me try this and see if this works for you. Do you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Kids, you should know this story. High school, junior high, right? You grew up in Sunday school, you know this story. Uh, King Darius, right, has signed a law, but he didn't realize what the promoters of the bill were up to. They kind of hid uh, in a pork barrel package, so to speak. They hid the real intent of what they were trying to do. And they had jury rigged the bill to maliciously trap Daniel. They were envious of him. Uh, they wanted to take his position. And so they set a trap. And once the trap was sprung, King Darius realized that he was held hostage by his own law. Think of this dilemma. King Darius desperately wanted to save Daniel by finding a way around the law that he himself had signed as a decree. And Daniel ended up there because why? The law of the Medes and the Persians could not be revoked and they held that against Darius himself. Likewise, we find in scripture that the same is true of God's law. Daniel, though a righteous man, was found uh, guilty by the law. Likewise, God's law is good and perfect and righteous. But Satan, very similar, in the same way that the conspirators schemed against Daniel, leverages God, or at least tries to, against his own law that he has to condemn us because of our failure to keep it, because we sin. And Satan knows that God cannot violate his own righteousness. If you think about uh, heaven and think of it as a courtroom, the court of heaven, this is a legal maneuver by a prosecuting attorney 
i.e. Satan, and it's a very clever one, right? And so God's answer is that he will fulfill the law himself. So Jesus, as the defending prosecutor, comes knowing all of this, and he came to do what? He came to fulfill the law. Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth. He's talking to his Jewish compatriots there, and not Gentile sinners, And yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5 in in the Sermon on the Mount, what we know as the Beatitudes, says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. What are we talking about here? Well, Daniel was a righteous man. If you read about his life, he, was an incre- he had incredible integrity, right? And he loved Yahweh totally. He was a righteous man, but none of his righteous works would save him when he was thrown into the pit. Lions don't really discriminate between righteous and unrighteous people. Daniel had to trust God by faith to spare him from the lion's den. So we also, in a similar way, must trust that Jesus that trust Jesus that he will save us from a different pit, the pit of hell. And God now uses the law to point us to this Jesus. Galatians, we've looked at this before, but look at this again now. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed, and therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, faith in Jesus' righteousness overcomes the law. And so our our works or our righteousness cannot get us into heaven. But we can get into heaven if we make Jesus, through faith, our righteousness. Because of his death and resurrection from the cross, he has fulfilled the law and has become righteousness for us. And it must be said, Jesus died for you. Why do you need a Savior? For the same reason that Daniel did. Let me put it another way. See if this makes sense. What if Daniel had said to himself, uh, imagine that this is Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Dude, I'm a pretty righteous person. Right? That would be the way we'd say it today. And and I've done well all my life. I've, I've been good. You know, and I think those lions will recognize that and they're gonna leave me alone. Would his righteousness have saved him? And the answer is no, right? He needed somebody who could shut, the word here is muzzle, the mouth of the lions. Peter tells us that Satan, if you take that picture uh, one step further, Peter tells us that Satan roars about like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus, by his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, now has the keys to the pit, and he has muzzled the lion. For those who place their faith in Christ, 
the lion can no longer devour them. In Daniel's story, the conspirators who plotted against Daniel were devoured before they even hit the floor. So now there is a new law. For those found in Christ, the lion can no longer devour them. He is muzzled. We are saved in Christ. They, we will be lifted from the pit and we will spend eternity in heaven. For those found outside Christ, and hear this very clearly. I don't say this lightly. I say this very soberly. The, they will be thrown into the pit of hell and devoured by the roaring lion for eternity. Therefore, as Paul says, we plead with you. If you're listening this morning and you are not saved, I plead with you to stop trying to get into heaven by your own works or righteousness or ignoring God and saying, I don't need you because I can do it myself. Repent. Confess Christ as Lord and Savior. Confess your need to the one who can muzzle the lion. Come under his authority and protection. And if you do that, then you will operate under a different law. I hope that made sense. Let's pray this morning. Father, you have taken brilliant things and condensed them down so that we could understand them. And even then, Lord, it stretches our mind. As we're talking this morning, I am very dependent on you taking the words that I've said and through the power of your spirit, speaking life, speaking truth, speaking reality into people's lives, that they would go, you know what, that's right. And that could only come about by the conviction of your Holy Spirit. And so this morning, Lord, we pray that you will get us thinking along your lines, that we will be cooperative, that we will yield to you, we will yield to your authority and your request. Lord, that we will acknowledge that you are good and that we're going to be judged by a good law. And the only way around that law, Father, is to be found in your Son, that his righteousness would be our righteousness and that you would see that and therefore we would be cleared, uh, lifted, forgiven. And so, Father, as, as I seek you this morning on that, it's a great reminder for those of us who already know you. It's also a great uh great um, push for those who don't. Lord, we seek and we plead with people that they would place their faith in your Son, and we ask this in your name. Amen. What gift of grace Jesus, my Redeemer, there is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold.
Thank you so much this morning that in our weaknesses, you show your strength. I have seen that time and time again throughout my life. And I thank you, God, that even when we are weak, almost more when we are weak, Lord, you indeed are so beautiful and so strong. Help us to look to you as our strength this morning. We thank you for an awesome service this morning. And Lord, just continue to unite us in your spirit as there are just such 
uncertain times out there, God. We just don't know what's, we don't know what's next. But to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. And in that beautiful name, all of you at home say, Esther worship team, thanks again for leading us in worship, and uh, we hope you have had a great time worshiping together in your homes. Um, we've had a practice, and it's really been good, and I have been uh, deeply encouraged uh, by some of the reports of you guys as families having uh, questions and dialogues together and a great prayer time. So let's go at this again. Here's the questions for the week. Number one, what's your picture of pre-flood earth? When you think of the days before Noah. What, what picture do you have um, when it says that it was corrupted and every thought of man's heart was evil? What do, you, what do you think that looked like? What was the effect of that? Number two, God wanted to take one nation, that would be Israel, and by his laws give to them, uh, given to them, uh, make it so righteous and holy that all the other nations of the world would abandon their false gods and emulate the nation of Israel and worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. What do you think of that plan? Have you thought about that? What, what would be your take on that? And uh, what would you think? Number three, scripture equates the law with holiness. What does that mean to you, right? And uh, again, we're gonna look at holiness next week. So obviously we're rolling in that direction. But uh, what does that mean to you? Number four, what do you think of the law not being able to be broken, neither by king, that'd be King Darius, or by God himself? And then number five, what do you think of the idea of God muzzling the lion to save you? Has that, does that idea carry any weight? How has that impacted your thinking? So have fun discussing those. Go on and uh, have a great time talking through that together. And then prayer points for this week. It's Father's Day. Right? So let's pray for our dads today and uh, lift them up. Let's ask God to give them wisdom and stamina. And then number two, let's continue to pray for Northview as a church family. Obviously, God's up to something, right? There's some pretty exciting things uh, that we will be faithful and steadfast uh, through this time of testing. Number three, let's continue to pray for the healing of the rifts that are dividing our nation. We are extremely polarized at this point and there's very little middle ground and we need god to help us uh, with finding the god-given middle and let's pray that way number four let's continue to pray for grace for those who are on the front lines of the covid19 pandemic and that god will protect them and shield them as they are serving uh, other people and then number five Let's continue to pray for people to be drawn to a saving relationship with Jesus. One of the things that astounded me when I got saved is that I had no idea that more than a year before I actually became saved that there were all kinds of people praying for me. They, I had wound up on prayer lists and people knew my name and I had no concept or idea that that was actually happening. And that's also going to be true for many who come to Christ. Church, let's pray. Who are the names that you need to lift up? Who have you quit praying for? Let's go back to that. Let's believe in faith that God is hearing our prayers and that when they come, there will be a great rejoicing. So we continue to walk this journey together and uh, we will come next week with uh, God and his holiness and we'll see you then.